Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you today and thank you for tuning in. It's another opportunity for us to open the Bible, to study God's Word, to learn how to walk faithfully into the footsteps of Jesus. I'd like to welcome our panel for today. And Joe, good to have you with us. Yes, it's wonderful to be here, Nick. Thank you for, thank you for welcoming me. Uh, Ken, nice to have you also on the panel. Thank you, Nick. It's another beautiful day to be here. We're very blessed to be able to take part in this. And Lija, thank you for joining us. Mm, very delighted to be part of the team to study God's holy word. Len, also very good to have you with us. Thank you for the welcome, Nick, and hello, listeners. And Brenton, thank you for joining us. Brenton, you are uh, our facilitator for uh, today, and thank you for preparing this uh, Bible study. Thank you, Nick. I'm really looking forward to sharing this uh, study with our panel and with those who listen to. I'm sure God is going to bless us as we study this important topic today. Absolutely. And I believe it's important to learn how to apply uh, and uh, walk faithfully every day of our life. Uh, Brenton, over to you. Please take us through. All right. Thank you, Nick. It's, it's a pleasure, as I said, to, to be here. Our study for today is entitled Covenant Faith. Now, we have a number of texts that we're going to look at. These are key texts. I've actually listed about half a dozen or so that we will unpack as our study goes on. Um, we have studied over the last few weeks a number of issues regarding the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, whether there's an overlap between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But as I was uh, looking at this subject, I came to this statement, which I felt was very important to share with you. It says, All those who say I am saved but do not obey God's commandments are resting their salvation on a false hope, a false foundation. No one who has an intelligent knowledge of the requirements of God can be saved in disobedience. I think that's both a warning and a lesson to us today. And our discussion today is on covenant faith, as I said. What is it? And we're going to use an example an example that our listeners would be familiar with, that we as a panel are familiar with, the example of Abram. At this point, he was not Abraham. He was Abram. And is the same faith that God had, that Abram demonstrated, is that the same faith that God wants us to have here in 2021? Ken, before we go ahead, I wonder if you would pray for us because we really need the Holy Spirit to guide us in our study today. Thanks, Ken. Heavenly Father, Thank you for today's opportunity to share your word over the radio. Lord, your word is the bread of life for all those who would partake of it, those who would take time to look into the Bible to discover its treasures, its guide to living a happy and healthy, full life in Jesus, yeah. all the future it has foretold right up to these last days. Everything spoke of has come to pass. Only the final event is about to take place, which will divide people of this world into two groups those who believe and those who don't. Father, you're doing all you can to warn people time is running out. The return of Jesus is approaching. The window to salvation is about to close forever. Lord, you know many are still searching for the truth. We pray through these studies many people will seek Jesus while he may be found. Amen. Thank you, Ken. When you study the subject of covenant faith, 
it's all based around a particular aspect. The particular aspect is that salvation is a gift. And so, therefore, we have to discuss it in that particular context. Len, I wondered if you could read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which we should all know. And the question I had is, if salvation is a gift, what does this say about the authority and character of the giver of the gift? And why do so many people want to add something to the gift? Thanks, Len. If you would share with us, and then we're happy for any um, panel members to comment on this particular question. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I'm reading from the New International Version of the Bible. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. All right, well, that clearly says that salvation is a gift. I would like to just talk a little bit about this first before I get on to the second thing. Some of you may have heard of John D. Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. He was an oil magnate who lived not quite a century ago. At the time of his death, his net worth was $416 billion. US dollars. Now, if you multiply that by the inflation factor, it's probably three, four thousand billion dollars. At one stage, towards the end of his life, he was very sick. And what he said was rather interesting. He said, I would give away everything I have to get my health back. Now, that was only his health. Yes. You're talking about eternal life where you have abundant health forever and ever. I wonder how much he would have paid for that. Well, he wouldn't have had enough money. And that's the same with all of us. We don't have enough. We can't offer God anything apart from ourselves for eternal life because it's a gift. We we don't actually earn it. But before I talk about the second part, I want to point something out here. And this bothers me quite a bit. Many people are very happy to accept this gift of grace, forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but then they don't do anything about it. It seems very much to me from how I read the Bible that when we receive salvation through Jesus Christ, there are responsibilities that go with it. We have to live in such a way that we obey and do the things that God wants us to do. All right, now, if anybody came to me and said, look, Len, I've got $5 million here. I'll give that to you if you can give me eternal life. Well, I'd have to say I'm sorry, but I don't, I'm not in the position to give you eternal life. Even if somebody came with $500 million or $416 billion, I'm not in a position to do that. I'm not the life giver. I'm a created being, and it's only that can come from God. Now, Jesus spoke about eternal life and said he was the way, the truth, and the life. He was the way to eternal life. How could he do it if he was just a mere man? He'd be no better than me. But Jesus could give eternal life because he indeed was God in uh, John 1, it talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, referring to Jesus, was God. This is only in the realm of God to grant eternal life. 
And I'm very glad because I don't have to get $5 million and go to somebody and say, can I have eternal life? I need to be turned away. But it's a gift. And what a beautiful gift that is. Len, um, panel, um, Ken, why do you think it's so difficult to accept eternal life as a gift? Len has touched on it significantly. What are your thoughts on the matter? The thing that came to mind when Len was speaking that is that uh, today I come across a number of Christian people who say that uh, salvation, it's a free gift of God. But as Len briefly touched on, yes. they feel they don't have to do anything that it's a gift and you still carry on the way that you were going. And obviously, if you read the scriptures, that's very, very far from the facts. Once you have this amazing gift, you have a standard that you are supposed to adhere to. And that standard, of course, is the standard of that Jesus set, including keeping the Ten Commandments. Yes, thank you, Ken. Is, is that a response to the gift? Can I ask that question before I come to Lydia? Is the obedience factor... Is that a response to accepting the gift, do you think? Well, yes, yes, it is, because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Why should we love Jesus? Well, because of what he has done for us. So there is a response, Yeah, the responsibility. Okay, thank you. Lydia, you had a comment, and then Ken. Those who cannot accept the gift, it means they didn't enter into that love that Len was uh, mentioning so if if they cannot comprehend that love that abounds in their hearts and minds, they are not ready to look uh, beyond what God, what is included in this plan of salvation. Yes, yes, okay. Could it be that in accepting the gift, it's important to understand what that gift has cost? Think of things that maybe you have been given in life where someone has given you a gift. Now, it's one thing to receive a gift, say, from somebody who's rich and they give you a fairly expensive gift like a watch or something like that. You say, yes, yes, yes. But sometimes you receive a gift from a person who you know is poor and you know that it has really cost them to give you a gift. Does that actually mean uh, more, do you think, in, in receiving that gift? Does that make you feel humble? Does that make you feel more receptive towards the person that uh, has given it? Len, I think you were first with a comment there. Probably makes me feel embarrassed. Embarrassed. <laughs> well, I think to myself, what have I done to earn this or to de deserve ah, it? Right. <laughs> and I haven't done anything to deserve it. I think we human beings uh, have an inbuilt idea that we get what we earn, but God doesn't work on that way. God gives the gift first. Yes, is, yes. Here it is. You yeah. know, there are lots of world religions where they feel mm -hmm. they have to go through various ceremonies and make sacrifices and this and that in order to earn the favour of their God or gods. But Christianity is totally different. We don't earn favour with God by, by doing our stuff. We accept the gift and then in response to that beautiful gift, we do what God wants us to do. Aline, I think you've articulated that very well. That is what sets Christianity apart from other religions. Other religions all believe you have to do something to either appease or gain the approval of the God that you worship. But in Christianity, what we're asked to do is accept the gift. 
Ken, you had a comment, then Nick, and then uh, Joe. Yes, just what you're asking that question about accepting this gift. For me personally, and I'm sure for our team panel, it's just mind-blowing and totally out of my understanding what Jesus has done for me. Yeah. I just I cannot get my head around it. That probably sounds very strange, but it's a personal thing. It's not just, well, Jesus died to save the world. I look at it very personally, and it just blows me away. Yeah, thank you, Ken. Um, the other day I was reading a, a chapter from a book entitled The Desire of Ages. It was the chapter entitled Calvary. If you really want to get, a, get an idea of what your salvation cost, read that chapter. If you have that book, um, read that chapter entitled Calvary. It really does uh, bring it home very, very strongly. Nick, you had a comment for us, and then Joe. Yes, uh, Brenton, I was just going to take it a little bit from a different angle. I mean, still looking at that uh, question, is salvation a gift? Mm-hmm. And we are, we are talking about gifts and what that means to have a gift, to receive a gift. What I would like to talk here a little bit in a different way is that imagine when you give a gift to your enemy, mm-hmm. how your enemy I'm with you. Yes. We'll consider that gift because we are all enemies to God. And God. God gave salvation to us as a gift because we don't deserve it. As was mentioned, we don't deserve salvation. We deserve death. But in his mercy and love, God gifted us. God gave us that gift of salvation. Now, I would like to touch on what you just said a bit earlier, Brenton. Christians are different than other religions. And I would like to, to just point out that unfortunately, too many Christians are receiving that gift carelessly. Okay. They yeah. don't understand what it costs and will just take it so easily. It's, you know, cheap grace, mm. cheap grace, but it's not cheap grace in, in, uh, in salvation. No. In no. salvation, you know, it costed everything. It yes. costed heaven. And God gave that gift because he's a giver. Yes. And I want to emphasize on this because we can talk very simplistic, you know, about, yes, it's a, we cannot do anything. We are called to do a lot of things. And I hope that we can bring to, to the surface few things what we should do as Christians or as followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Not that we deserve not uh, that give not that we have to pay back anything yeah. because we can't pay sure. back anything but is that a something that we should do or we need to do or is just let's take the gift as i said like you give a gift to a, an enemy and if he will take the gift and he will be still your enemy mm. Mm. okay i take your point there uh, nick joe you had a thought for us well I think of it in a different way. Sure. I think of it, I think of it as mm. we are all of God's children. Mm-hmm. And it's a little different to seeing us as a, at enmity. I guess at some level we are because our independence fights against God's love. However, we are his children and we know that, um, you know, as parents, do we need lots of incentive to give gifts to our children? We know that Jesus said, you know, if you who are evil, give yes. to your children, how much more would your heavenly <clears throat> father? So I see a benevolent father 
a loving parent who is bending over backwards, pouring out all of heaven in an effort to give us something that we so desperately need but fail to recognise our need. And so I guess one of the questions that was asked earlier, why do so many people want to add to this gift? You know, why do we? And I think it's part of the work culture. Um, we okay. feel like yeah. no pain, no gain. We've yes. got to have, if it's for free, there's a catch somewhere. You yes. know, we catch yeah. and we're very suspicious of gift. gift. So we basically, yeah, we feel like we've got to earn, we've got to add something. But um, in this case, we can't add a shred. Yeah. We can just hum, you know, bow humbly and say thank you, thank you, thank you for eternity, actually. Yes. Yeah, Joe, thank you. Um, and Nick as well. There's just a thought that occurred to me as we were discussing this as a panel. You've all heard the saying, if it seems too good to be true, it's probably because it is too good to be true. Um, <laughs> in the case of salvation, it does seem too good to be true, and it is too good to be true, but it is true. Amen. So it's uh, not just seems too good to be true, it is true. And what it's based on is it's based on that the only person who could really give the gift of salvation is the person who created us. It would have had to be the creator. It couldn't be anybody else other than the one who created us who would be able to, able to offer us this gift. And I think that that's why it not only seems too good to be true, but it is true. Ken, you had a further thought for us. Yes, just something popped into my head when we were sure. discussing about uh, when we received this gift, what, what we should do. And it reminded me of a beautiful movie I watched many years ago called Play It Forward. And I think this oh, sums yeah. up Jesus. Yeah. I think when we receive the wonderful gift of Jesus and salvation, we too can play it forward to help all people around us. Yeah. I think in summarising question one, we could say this. We have to accept it just as it's given. We've already uh, exhaustively discussed the fact that we can't add anything to it. Nick, did you have something further? Yeah, just very, just very quickly yeah. I was going sure. to mention because um, uh, Joe raised up a very interesting uh, aspect of uh, and, and also paralleling with, you know, that if we as parents can go, uh, give good gifts to our children, how more? Uh, God will give good gifts. And I'd like to just point out something there. When God offered the gift of salvation, and particularly looking at John 3.16, if you like, mm, that sure, was sure. for everyone, those who were enemies with God at that time, because they were. We were all. Yes. But when we become God's family, we engage ourselves, we receive that gift. We are still rebellious children, and we still sin, and we still uh, uh, have faults. And that's where God says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more God will give you good gifts uh, to us all? And I want to, to just separate these two things, because I believe it's too much in our um, mind, the thought, that doesn't matter what you do. God is so good that God will give you the eternal life, will give you that good gift, eternal life. Nick, is that, cheap, is that cheap grace? What you were referring to is cheap grace. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, and that's what right. I want to make okay. that difference, that, hey, we don't deserve anything. God did, gave it to everyone. But after you enter into God's family, you cannot just uh, presume uh, that uh, you'll get there, doesn't matter what you'll do. Yes, you'll make mistakes, 
God will be merciful to you. God will forgive you. You know, God will, uh, that is the relationship in a, between a family, as Joe yeah. pointed out. Sure, sure. Um, Nick, that's a good thought. And uh, Joe, um, everyone's thoughts have certainly been centered around this. I, I personally see God very much, Joe, the way you were presenting it as a loving father who was, as it were, hovering over us and only wanting the best for us. And if you stop and think about the fact that John 3.16 says that God gave, there's, there's another example of a gift. God gave his son uh, in order to save us. The cost of our salvation is immense. And as we move on to question number two, Joe, I wondered if you'd share with us First Peter 1.18 and 19 and uh, perhaps um, just comment on it. I've put in my notes here, why does Peter compare it with silver and gold? But um, I want you to read it and perhaps unpack it a bit for us, Joe, if you wouldn't mind. Thanks. Okay. I'll start by reading First Peter 18 and 19. Sure. sure. And it <laughs> says, um, for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So what is the cost of salvation? It tells us here plainly it's the precious blood of Christ. And that's a good question that you asked. Why does he compare it? Why does Peter compare it with silver and gold? And the thought that occurred to me (laughs) is that, well, this is our favourite currency, isn't it? Seems <laughs> <Money>. to be. <laughs> yes. But in Exodus 30, there's an account of um, that it was established that a half-shekel tax was to, for all Israelite males aged 20 and older, were to pay a half-a-shekel ransom tax, whatever it is, yes. to redeem their lives and pay for the upkeep of the sanctuary. So some some scholars believe that this was taken up annually or once in a lifetime, and that kind of changed. So I guess it's just like the sacrificial system. People started to, they instead of looking at the lamb as a teaching aid pointing to Christ, they were looking at the money as the gold and the silver as instead of a teaching aid that they were ransomed, you know, looking to Christ, there he is our most precious possession. They started to focus on the money. And so here perhaps Peter is saying, hey, don't look at the money. Don't look at the gold and the silver. There is something far, far more valuable, you know, because these things are perishable. Yes. But not Jesus. And so um, I think Israelites were all too quick to lose sight of what God was trying to teach them. Even um, even though we know that the whole sanctuary service, the, the the formation of it, the services all pointed to Christ and Christ and God's love for them, they lost sight of that and just went through the motions of, yes, we'll give him one sacrifice, we'll give him two, that'll make him happier. You know, yeah. and really what God yeah. was looking yeah. at was change of heart and having that new covenant relationship with him. Yes. Um, getting to know the God. I mean, how could they possibly imagine that, how could the mind back then see that this lamb pointed to their God? This was surely a weak God. How could this, you know, this is unpacking it, at, at, yes. you know, because like yes. we mentioned earlier, yes. mm-hmm. the sacrifices, you know, they were to appease, to appease angry gods. Here we yes. have a portrayal of 
God himself dying to cover for my sin. And, um, yes, it would take a lot of inspiration from the Holy Spirit to be able to comprehend that. And I guess this is why it took so long for them to grasp this. Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's um, some good thoughts there, Joe. I, I just wonder when it says you were bought with the, the blood of Jesus Christ and not with silver and gold, one of the things about silver and gold, of course, is that the value of silver and gold alters. Yes. <laughs> it's not it's not stable. It goes up, it goes down. But the value of God's son's sacrifice never changes. It's an unchanging reality and the 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 value of it is always the same. It's always it's it always comes back to the fact that Christ offered his um sacrifice. An inspired writer once said we should spend a thoughtful hour each day concentrating on the life of Christ, particularly the closing scenes. I actually did that the other day, as I was sharing earlier on. In the um, chapter Calvary, I spent probably three-quarters of an hour reading the chapter through slowly, not whizzing through it and then saying, I know all that, going on to something else. Um, I went through it slowly. And I'd ask myself, how do you think this would add to our sense of the immense sacrifice of Christ on Calvary for us, and what effect should that have on our lives in our daily relationship, firstly with God and with others? And then I asked, does this give us an assurance of salvation? I wonder, um, Joe, would you also read First John five eleven and yes, thirteen yes. for us? Yeah, I was because about I to. really think to finish this question off, if you understand the cost of the sacrifice as best we can, humanly speaking, what does that lead to as far as assurance goes? It says in First John 5, 11 and 13, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever clear, has the son, it's very, very particular, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I find that incredibly reassuring. Wow. <laughs> as undeserving, as undeserving in my own self-righteousness and, you know, all the things that normal Christians are plagued with, we have here a reassurance, don't we, a real? Yes. You yeah. may know, you know, you yeah. have. These yeah. are real positives. It's good, Joe, because the Greek actually, when I looked at this up in the Bible commentary, I think the Greek says that you may go on knowing. It's okay. present tense. It's not yeah. past tense. It's something. It's not something that when you accepted Christ, you received an assurance of salvation, and since then you've been not too sure about it. You hope so, but you're not too sure about it. No, um, John is talking to church members. He's talking yeah. to people who have accepted Christ. And he's saying, I am writing these things to you so that this you may have this continual assurance. You may go on knowing. <laughs> a perpetual reassurance. Perpetual reassurance. Yeah. Nick, did you have a thought for us? Yeah. No, I, I was just thinking as, um, yeah, we're looking at this uh, aspect of, uh, uh, you know, free, you know, free gift. And uh, we talk quite a bit of, about this, that uh, in our, um, you know, mentality, when it's something free, you're thinking, oh, maybe it's not worth it, you know, much. But you mentioned here, uh, Brenton and uh, Joe, the comparison in between the blood of Jesus and silver and gold, blood of Jesus and blood, it's life. 
Yes. Len mentioned a bit earlier that, um, you know, some very rich people will give everything, you know. And I know in the uh, in history, there are people which will like to give everything they own, and that was the most rich people in at that time, just sure. for a moment of life, for yes. a few more uh, minutes of or days of life. Why? Because life cannot be priced. Good point, Nick. Life yes. cannot Good be priced. Mm-hmm. Silver and gold, yes, may go up and down, up or down, yeah. can be priced, but life cannot be priced. And Jesus gave us that gift, his yeah. life. Mm-hmm. True. Ken, you had a thought for us, and then Joe. I just wanted to retouch on a really important point that Joe mentioned, and we have spoke about this before, but I don't think it does any harm to to mention it again, and that is, uh, as we mentioned, John 5 and verse 11, 13, whoever has a son has life. Now, really, if you haven't got Jesus in your life, you haven't got anything, because not only he is our judge, but he's also our saviour. And there's so many people in the world today ignore Jesus and think they have to do something else or just, you know, uh, they, they don't really look at him as an important person. But the whole whole future, the whole salvation hinges on Jesus alone. It does, Ken, and it's always the case. It, it, it doesn't change day by day or year by year. It's the same all the way through. Joe, you had a thought for us too. It's just a, a, I'm I'm sure we've alluded to it, but I'd just like to clarify. We talk about the free gift of salvation. You know, it costs something. Yes. It doesn't, it it actually was very costly indeed because it cost the life of our Savior. He paid that price for us. So it wasn't free in that sense. Someone else, uh, Jesus died on our behalf and paid the price for us to redeem us. So I guess to say that it's a free gift, it is a free gift, but it costs someone something, Mm. you know, and sometimes we forget that Jesus died and paid the ultimate price for us. Yes, but it cost God, didn't it? It didn't cost us. That's right. Someone did pay for the price of our sin, you know. Yeah, and it had to be (laughs) someone other than us. Uh, Len, you had a thought. A very short thought is a saying... There is no such thing as a free lunch. Yes, we've all heard that one too. What Joe was just talking about (laughs) is the outworking of that particular saying. It cost God dearly. Yes, it did. Nick? Yeah, I was just going to add something here. Very often uh, we'll offer through our radio programs a free gift to our listeners And even though that gift still costs something because somebody pays for that little gift which we offer, but what we like to say is that this is a free gift for you. No obligation. You know what that means? What that means? That we are not giving that gift to hook uh, somebody, you know, with that gift that they may pay us back in a way or the other or do something for us. But that's our gift for you. Now, if you receive it, you'll enjoy it. You can still not receive it. It's a, it's a free gift. Doesn't require anything, you know, uh, from you. Now, once you receive that gift, I believe it will always, you'll be grateful for that. Because when you receive it, you'll be grateful and you'll do, you know, you'll uh, do whatever you can, you know, but it's not that that gift is given to you that you need to do something. Now that's free gift, but you'll do the rest of it to please the giver. Uh, good, good thought there, uh, Nick. 
Also, if you receive the gift in the spirit in which it is given and you have the right spirit in receiving it, doesn't it make a difference as to how you see the gift? Mm. I can think of gifts that have been given to me down through the years at Christmas, at birthdays, and so on and so forth. I received a gift um, last year from my son. Now, it's two racing cars because I'm interested in motor racing. And um, I know how much it cost. He doesn't know that I know because he didn't take the... uh, price tag off underneath one of them so I do know how much the gift cost but it meant a lot to me because it came from my son Mm. it was my son's gift to me and that really meant something to me I was nearly in tears when I got it he doesn't know this and I hope he's not listening but it was it was something that really meant something to me Ken um, question three of our study today and we're halfway through it is actually one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. It's Genesis 15, verse 6. I wonder if you could read it and just comment on it for us. Thanks, Ken. And we're talking about Abram here, and it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, the same verse basically also comes up in Romans chapter 4, and verse 3. Yes. Or what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So it's told in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I think this is really important because sometimes people look back at uh, God's people in the Old Testament and think, well, these were super duper people and, and they had they had everything all, all under control and everything was going wonderful for them. But the reality <laughs> is they were no different from you and I or we're no different from they were that we all have our uh, our fears, our problems, our challenges, our things come upon us. And here we were finding that Abraham wasn't a righteous man as, as no man is, but because he believed in the Lord, God counted this onto him, the faith that he had, he counted it onto him as righteousness. So instead of looking at uh, an evil, wicked man uh, and someone who's a sinner, he looked at him as a righteous man because of his faith. Ken, that's very important. I think um, it would be fair to say, and we'll get to it a little bit further in in this particular question, his faith was important, but I wonder whether it was his faith that God counted or the fact that he was willing to move forward. Remember, if if we had read the verses preceding this, you would realise that God told him to go outside, look at the sky... So obviously it was at night when God spoke to him and he said, if you can count the stars, uh, that's how how many descendants you were going to have. Now, at this stage, he had no descendants whatsoever. So um, he's looking at the stars saying, I can't possibly count them and I'm going to have this many descendants when I don't even have a son at this particular point in time. Len, you had a thought for us. Okay, well, you've stolen my thunder a little. Sorry, sorry Len, sorry. <laughs> See, Abram was very concerned about whether he would have any descendants, as you've pointed out. And God said, yes, go outside and look up in the sky. Your, go, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. There'll be that many. Now, why did Abram believe the Lord? It was because the Lord had revealed things to him before, like he said, I want you to leave your uh, homeland, Ur of Chaldees, Mm -hmm. go where I show you where to go. And the Lord did that. 
So he could believe the Lord because the Lord was credible. It wasn't just pie in the sky, so to speak. And that's why he could believe him. Now, sometimes we get phone calls, and you probably do too, because there are so many scammers. (laughs) I had a couple this week. And somebody rang the other day, I'm from the taxation department. Well, I can't believe them because I go through a tax agent and the taxation department recently gave me quite a healthy refund. So because he had experienced the Lord, he could believe him. And I think this is something that we in this day and age have to do too. When we experience the Lord and we are aware of his goodness, we can believe him. Yes. A lot of people don't believe God. They say, oh, how can this be? And so they they don't accept him. Yeah. Thank you, um, Len. That's um, a very good thought. There was a note here that I wanted to share um, that says this. He, that's Abram, believed. He, the he is the Hebrew word is he m e m i n, and it's from the same root word as amen. Now, at the end of each prayer, we usually say amen, and that simply means may it be so or so be it. With which we emphasise our desire that God may hear and fulfil our prayers. This verb expresses complete trust in the power and promises of God. The particular form of the verb here, used, expresses, furthermore, that this was not just Abram's historical experience at the moment, but an abiding character trait as well. He kept on believing. Abram's faith and childlike trust in God did not make him righteous. I think this is important. Rather, the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. How have you found that yourselves? Have you found in your own personal experience that that's what it's like to go on trusting God? Nick and Ken, one after another. Nick first and then Ken. Look, um, it's a relationship uh, and trusting in God is not something just, uh, um, you know, supernatural. Uh, sure. that, that's a relationship. You have to uh, know God, to have God within you as Abraham uh, experienced. That was a relationship. That was not just out of the blue. God asked uh, Abraham, hey, uh, pack up your things. Uh, you need to leave. Then uh, he will say to him after God promises he, him the son to say, hey, now you um, take your son and sacrifice him. No, no, that was a relationship which was... Uh, strongly developed that the receiver of God's gift, you know, was able to do amazing things, which in our um, sinful nature, we perceive that as supernatural. Okay, Nick, so what is a, what is the, you talked about the word relationship. What is a relationship based on? It's based on trust, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Sure. Ken, did you have a thought for us? Look, it's... Uh... Trusting in God, as I look back over my life, things that have happened to me are really absolutely amazing. And a lot of this happened before I knew God, obviously he knew me. Sure. Uh, was, yeah. He was looking after me because the number of times that I shouldn't be here is actually quite amazing. <laughs> and, uh, I, I mean, uh, trusting God, I accept every day as a special gift. Thank God every day for the day. I'm one of these people that I accept whatever comes along, whether it be good or bad, 
because at the end of the day, I look at my life and what the amazing things God has done for me. And obviously, like everyone else, we have challenges and, and problems that come along. But through it all, I can see that God is working in the background. Many of the time, I don't understand it because sure, sure. Expecting, expecting a certain result and that result goes out the window when you think what's going on here. But I know in the background that obviously God can see things that we cannot, and obviously we do not have this understanding. So I just accept what the Lord provides. Mm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Someone used the word relationship before. Yes, I can't Nick. Who it was, Nick? Nick, you mentioned the word relationship. In a relationship, it's a, it's a two-way thing, isn't it? It's a, a communication, a dialogue, yeah. and interesting. Interestingly, if you look at the narrative in Genesis 15, it says that he believed in verse 6, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. And, of course, um, in verse 8, I'll read 7 as well, and says, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Now, the question that comes from Abram is, And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? He asked for a sign. Yes, he did. He believed. He believed, but he asked for a sign. And we know then, reading further, that they went through that process of of sacrificing and dividing in half and passing through that we've discussed in previous weeks. But just because we have a relationship with God, and it's counted to us as righteousness. This doesn't prov- doesn't prevent us from dialoguing with God, questioning God, seeking for answers, and um, and God will talk to us through His Word. Yes, so it's I not just that. a one way thing. And sometimes, not to doubt God, but to question God builds faith. Yes, that's a good thought, Joe. Um, not to doubt God, but to question God. I, Abram, if you look at Abram's experience with God, he was often often questioning God. When yes. you come to chapter 19 where God tells him he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, look at the bargaining that was going on there. If there's 50, will you destroy it? And it gets right down to if there are 10 righteous people there, will you destroy it? He was getting cheeky. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he wasn't good. So basically it tells us that to enter into this dialogue with God isn't unrighteous, if you like. You know, it was counted as righteousness and it was faith building. So yeah. I think it's, um, yeah, it's just part of our growth in God. It is. Thank you, uh, Joe, for sharing that with us. Nick, time is moving on, but here's a very important question, I feel. How do you respond to someone who seeks to be a Christian but says, I don't feel good enough or I don't feel righteous enough? Can you share with us fairly uh, succinctly what you would say to such a person, starting with the text that I think is very appropriate, which is John 6.37? Let me just read that uh, verse, uh, Brenton. Uh, It says in uh, New King James, uh, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Okay. It's interesting here because we are talking about righteousness and how we feel. Because, to be honest, most of the time we feel, and Apostle Paul emphasized on this, uh, we feel very unrighteous. And it's a good thing to feel unrighteous, you know, because uh, um, we are on that process of sanctification. Now, what I would like to say 
to someone who will feel that he, he doesn't feel righteous, even though maybe um, a faithful believer in God. I would like to mention that Jesus, it's our righteousness. Yes. And right. that's what the word, you know, you may heard the word the righteousness by faith. By faith, we receive the gift. We receive Jesus in our life. We cannot be righteous without Jesus. Mm. Jesus in our life will make us righteous. And that's probably the difference because too often we may live a Christian life, but Jesus is still not part of our life. Yeah, good thought, uh, Nick. That's a good thought. And I believe this is very important to, uh, to realize that we need constantly to invite Jesus to be part of our life. To be with us, as Jesus says in in Revelation three twenty, uh, behold, I'm at the door. No, you know, if you if you let me in, I will come dine with you, and you with me. We'll have a relationship. I will be with you. Now, Abraham also. We talked about quite a bit about him today. I believe that was not something exterior which appears appeared to him when wow. he took those decisions. I believe it was something from inside. You know, he will, when he went with his son to the mountain to, to bring him a sacrifice, I don't believe that he would be able to go in his human nature up that way if Jesus would not be with him, in him, the righteousness, because that's what gave power to him to go that way, because Jesus was with him, walking with him. True, true, Nick. That's a good thought. Len, you have a thought on that one. Um I would reassure somebody by saying to them that feelings are not enough. Mm, Good thought. I'll give you a little example of this. One of my sons has bought cars and sold them. He's probably had more cars than I have. (laughs) And I said to him a couple of times, buy a car with your head and not your heart, because sometimes you might see a car and it looks wonderful and it's a... It's a load of rubbish. It's just... <laughs> it's a bomb. <laughs> and that's the case also. I realise that feelings are important, but when it comes to reassurance and the promises of God, your feelings don't make any difference. God's promises are secure. His word is truth. And so we, we need to perhaps put our feelings aside sometimes and go with the word of God and stick to that. Yeah, I think that's that's good uh, counsel. Um, there's a comment here, this great truth that have been declared righteous, not because of any act that we can do, but only because of faith in what Christ has done for us. Uh, the comment is, is the essence of the phrase righteousness by faith. Yet it is not that our faith itself makes us righteous, and this is worth thinking about. Rather, faith is the vehicle by which we obtain the gift of righteousness. Lydia, I wondered, um, there's an old hymn, and not only ourselves as a panel, but I'm sure some of our listeners would remember an old hymn called Standing on the Promises of Christ My Lord, Bound to Him Eternally by Love's Strong Cord. Uh, what does this mean practically for us today? I'd like you to read Romans 5.1 and perhaps um, also a further comment on this one. Thanks, Lydia. Yes, in New International Version, we read in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So we observe here quite a few promises, faith, peace, grace, and hope. So if we trust in the Lord and his uh, gift that he offered to us, it means we are resting on his promises and we have peace with God. And I would like to, uh, to mention here a note in which it says that uh, the only way in which he, the sinner, can attain to righteousness is through faith. By faith, he can bring to God the merits of Christ, and the Lord places the obedience of his Son to the sinner's account. Christ's righteousness is accepted in place of man's failure, and God receives pardons, justifies the repentant, believing soul, treats him as though he were righteous, and loves him, and he loves his son. This is how faith is accounted righteousness. And the pardoned soul goes on from grace to grace, from light to greater light. Isn't that a wonderful uh, comment, uh, Lydia? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, a, it's amazing. Yeah, it really is a wonderful comment. Standing on the promises. Do we stand on them? That's the important uh, question for us. Len, um, Paul actually makes a very interesting comment to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, he actually asks them to do something. I wonder if you would read the text and perhaps unpack it for us a bit as we come towards the conclusion of our study today. Okay. Now, the church in Corinth, from what we understand, was a pretty um, not (laughs) what we would consider really good congregation there were all sorts of things going on there and uh, i guess these were people who were only beginning their christian walk but anyhow paul in a letter to them his second letter to the corinthians uh, has made this comment he said since you are demanding proof that christ is speaking through me in other words they were doubting whether paul was a true apostle of the lord correct It goes down a little bit further because he knew that he was a true apostle of the Lord. The Lord called him, the Lord converted him, and um, he said to them, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, I think this is a very, very important thing in the life of a Christian. We need to consider our own motives, our own life direction. Am I a Christian on the inside as well as on the outside? That's that's good thought, Lynn. Yeah. In, <laughs> in our prayers, we often prayed, Lord, may we do your will in what we say, what we do, and what we think. I think there are quite a few people who have a form of godliness they go along to church and they do this that and the other but really it has to be a real heart-to-heart relationship with the lord and i think this is what paul is saying examine yourselves have you got a form of godliness are you just self-righteousness or have you really accepted the sacrifice of jesus for yourself and you're doing you're living according to God's will. 
we all need to examine ourselves. Am I genuine or am I just look genuine and not the real thing? Um, before we come to Nick, just quickly, um, the thought had come to me, Lena, as you were speaking. You can only examine yourselves if you're being led by the Holy Spirit because if you examine yourselves under your own steam, you'll always find something about yourselves that you think is okay. He's telling them that they need to go past the rituals and things, as you pointed out. They need to go, are they genuine Christians? What is their relationship with Jesus Christ? Do they actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are they just going through the motions? Nick, you had a thought. Yeah, very quickly, I was just going to say uh, in regard to what Len uh, quoted from the passage, um, you have a form of godliness. But the next thing he says, but he denying yes. its power. What that means, too many times we want to live a Christian life on, uh, you know, we to show it instead of allowing God to reflect that through us. It's not our work, it's not our action, it's God's action in us. That's why it says that you have a form of godliness, but denying its power. Uh, and I believe all of us here, we need to learn that on the panel and whoever is listening, that uh, we need to allow God to work the miracle of salvation to be seen by everyone around us. Yes, yes, that's a good thought, Nick. I mean, if you just think for a minute about uh, the time of Christ, if Christ had said to the Pharisees, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, they would have said, we're already there. What they didn't realise is that they didn't have a relationship with the Lord at all. Mm. It was all based on externals. Um, this is why I'm saying you must examine yourself, I believe, under the power of the Holy Spirit, because only when you examine yourself under the power of the Holy Spirit will you not deceive yourself as to your true condition. Joe? Probably worth mentioning that in examining yourself, you shouldn't be fixing your eyes on the sin or, you know, no, all your weaknesses yeah. or your failings, but on Christ and ask him to reveal that in which in your life grieves his Holy Spirit and ask him to give you the grace to put this away and be cleansed. Yes. Yes. You know, that's a, that's a like good... Nicodemus, like Nicodemus. Yeah, Nicodemus, if you'd asked Nicodemus at the time he came to see Christ to examine himself, he would have said, I'm pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think by the time he saw Christ hanging on the cross, he had a rather different view of things. Certainly did. Okay. If you see your sinfulness, do not wait to make yourself better. How many there are who think they are not good enough to come to Christ? Do you expect to become better? through your own efforts. There is help for us only in God. We must not wait for stronger persuasions, for better opportunities or holier tempers. We can do nothing of ourselves. We must come to Christ just as we are. And Nick, back in question four, when you read John 6, verse 37, what did it say again? He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. There is no precondition on your condition in coming to Christ. Joe. Quick one, we talked about gifts and how we enjoy and how you yourself was touched by a gift that was given to you. What I think we need to be very careful of is that we don't re-gift. We've all received gifts that have been re-gifted, yes. <laughs> that we do not re-gift Christ but yes. to accept him ourselves. That's a good thought. Thank you, everybody. Lydia, I wonder if you would close with prayer for us, please. 
Glorious Father in heaven, thank you so much for the gift of salvation, for your plan of redemption and restoration for us. Thank you so much for Jesus, your beloved Son and our beloved Savior, that he willingly offered himself as a gift of salvation. We thank you so much that we accepted your unique gift offered to us. Thank you so much that you unveiled to us the treasure of your gift. Please, Father, give us the ability of appreciation of the value of this gift. And in order to that, to give you back our hearts in which you will live with your love and presence in ourselves for our transformation in order to be redeemed, to live with you and see your face. Father, please send your Holy Spirit on people's hearts and touch every heart in order to realize and value your unique gift to us. It cost you dearly for us, but for us you offer to be a free gift. Father, help everyone that hear today these words to accept your gift. And in, in order to that, to honor and glorify your holy name. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, everyone, for uh, wonderful thoughts. And uh, this was um, a very uh, practical uh, way of uh, sharing with each other um, how should we walk faithfully in the footsteps of Jesus. I'll invite you to come back with us next time when we'll conclude this series. And we are going to talk about the new covenant life. And I emphasize that because, you know, uh, we can talk about new covenant, but the new covenant means to have life and even more abundantly. May God richly bless you. Until next time, don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.